For our scripture reading today, um, we're reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of evil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Word of the Lord. Our text today comes from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. It's a letter meant to encourage a community that's facing a bit of a struggle as they're trying to figure out what it means to be church and they're overcoming some obstacles of uh, the mission to the Gentiles versus the mission to the the Jews, and uh, they're dealing with outside influences. You know, Jesus got to speak in, you know, wonderful glowing terms and idealistic terms about the kingdom of God and turn the other cheek and love your neighbor and all that business. And then Jesus left. Paul had to deal with the practicalities of actually getting a community to pull together and uh, change the world. So, you know, Paul's a, a lot less glowing in his uh, approach to these kinds of things, right? Uh, uh, and probably was not real... Probably He and Jesus probably had some words on occasion about uh, what Paul was left to deal with. But uh, in facing these, these particular um, uh, practical issues, Paul anticipates that there will be struggle. There will be times when your faith may wane. There will be times when your faith is challenged. And there will be rough roads ahead. And so Paul, now uh, in the final chapter of his letter to the churches at Ephesus, encourages us with these wonderful words about the armor of God and encourages first to be strong and to stand firm in your faith against a flow a foe that is not flesh and blood right not a person or a people is our enemy says Paul this is important because we're often tempted to say that person is our enemy that person is our foe. Those people, God help us, are our enemy. Not so, Paul tells us. The, merce, the, the Muslim is not our foe. Violent fundamentalism in all of its form is our foe. The rich are not our foe. Blind ambition is our foe. 
The poor are not our foe. Poverty is our foe. People of other faiths or people of no faith are not our foe. Hopelessness is our foe. The single mom is not our foe. The homeless vet is not our foe. People of different colors, creeds, orientations, and social class are not our foe. The attitudes we have about these people, that is the enemy. Amen. Our enemy is a spiritual foe or even a psychic foe. Most often, it is not outside of us that is our enemy, but it is something inside of us that is our enemy. Our foe is this feeling of hopelessness that seems to permeate our society today. Our foe is the despair and the loneliness that is a blight among young and old alike. Our foe is empty worldliness that feeds into our attitudes of greed. Our foe is complacency that keeps us from changing this world. Our foe is apathy that keeps us from caring. Our foe is ignorance that keeps us from connecting. And ultimately, our foe is fear. All things, all things that we worry about, that we fear, that, that is, seems different than us, or that we rebel against, all of it seems to boil down to fear. Seems to be the opposite of love and acceptance and grace. Fear is the one thing that keeps our love from overflowing, I believe. Fear of the unknown... Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of running out, fear of getting hurt if we let things get too close. These are really what we battle with day in and day out. To battle over beliefs and theology or doctrine and who's in and who's out. That's really a luxury. What a luxury that is to quibble about Scripture and, and who, you know, who's righteous and who's not righteous. You know, folks, folks who are in desperate longing need of the hope that Christ believes, they don't care what your theology of evil is or what your theology of the church is or what your, you know, whether you think you know, John was uh, laying down a neo-orthodoxy for the, the uh, apocalyptic movement of the early church. Who cares? What we care about is the hope that Christ brings. Amen? That's really where evil gets a hold of our everyday fear. So Paul says, therefore, because of this reality, because of all of those things that are conspiring within us to combat our hope, to take us away from all that Christ gave His life and to give us. Because, therefore, because of all of these things in the world that drag us away from a whole and healthy and fulfilled life that Christ has promised us. Therefore, Paul says, protect yourself against this foe that you might stand firm against the very real foe that is the fear that numbs our world away from one another. Protect yourself with the belt of truth. Now, Truth can mean a couple of things. One is that you know the truth is the actual factuality of the events. 
And I can tell you that usually they're not talking about that kind of truth in the Bible. Truth and, and fact do not always equate. And so often in the world we live in today, truth is all about one's personal convictions. In fact, here in Utah, can I, can I say it? Here in Utah, there's a lot made out of the idea that one knows things to be true, right? I'm sure we're all familiar with hearing that, that someone knows things to be true, uh, to which I often go, well, that's amazing because I, I don't know that I have that kind of chutzpah to stand up and just, you know, but, you know, in truth, it's not about, you know, that kind of truth is about one's really strong personal belief and conviction. That doesn't necessarily mean or equate to absolute truth. Truth is about what's real. And in a world of faith, it's about what stands up against the scrutiny of doubt. <clears throat> Unlike so many of our brothers and sisters within Christianity, where questions and doubts and challenges to convention and what is presented as truth is often shunned, I feel that only when we allow ourselves to wonder, to question, to explore, to wrestle, to even doubt, only then can we say that we have a faith that is true. A faith that is tested. Amen? Yeah, and the other thing about truth is, is not even looking outside of, well, what's true and what should I believe? What's, a, what's right doctrine, right? That's one kind of truth that we've been talking about. But the other truth is just being honest. You know, protect yourself by being someone who's honest with yourself, with other people, in your dealings. Boy, honesty's at a premium. Can you believe I even have to say, be honest here from the pulpit? Uh, it really should be a given. And yet, we live in such a deceitful and dishonest age. And to call out deceitfulness and dishonesty within ourselves is like strapping on a belt on which we can hang the important things. That honesty within ourselves, that truth, let that be something that protects you and your faith. Because when you can be honest with yourself and honest in your other dealings, looking at the truth of the world and finding truth where you f in Scripture and in, in the world around us is a lot easier. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, that's a big church word. Righteousness uh, it being a preoccupation with Christ and a desire for Christ's will to be done in your life. Righteousness is actually kind of right thinking. That is, put your mind in the right place. There's a lot of wrong thinking out there. A lot of it, i got to say, is perpetuated by our brothers and sisters in the church. God help them. Uh, a lot of it is perpetuated by our society, wrong thinking. A lot of it is fed to us by people who want our money, marketers and, and people who have a, a quote product to sell. Not many of those products around anymore, but a lot of people have stuff to sell. But the righteousness we're talking about here is this right thinking about who God is and how God works and a right relationship going on. One in which God has ultimate say in who you are and whose you are. And it is right thinking about one's relationship with God. 
It's, the, it's this righteousness for which Peter was, uh, was commended when he declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus said this, Blessed are you, Simon, for this was not to reveal to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And then Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock on which I will build my church. What he's saying here is, is what was good about that is that you got yourself out of the way and you put your mind on God. And you let God show you what was going on around here. To be righteous is to look to God for the answers. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Don't leave me hanging like that. <laughs> uh, wrap your feet up in the gospel of peace. You know, i got to say, this is not the slippers of peace, right? It's not those big old slipper, fuzzy bunny slippers of peace. It is not those big footy socks, those big fluffy footy socks that they used to give you on the airplane that they don't think anymore, I don't think, but those big fluffy footy socks. It's not that kind of wrapping your feet up in. It is the, it is the running shoes of peace, right? It is the Nikes of peace. It is the work boot uh, of peace with the big metal toe on the front. These are these are shoes that need to work out, that need to be used, that you run with and you take somewhere else. It means that peace is not something that we just keep within ourselves. You know, I know we go, usually the first thing we do to find peace is we get away from everybody, right? It's not that kind of peace, folks. It's peace that you take with you and you get it out into the world. It's peace that affects other people. It's peace that's contagious and that touches everyone. It's something to be taken out there. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. You've got to wrap your feet up and get out there and make some peace. Right? It's taking that peace out there. And it means that where there is conflict, where you are able... Boy, what a blessing. Do you know people like this? People who, when all the world is going to hell around you, pardon me, they're the calm still presence that just is there and there there's a peace about them that that makes you feel okay like everything's going to be okay uh, usually they don't even say anything right it's just that calming presence when the world is falling around and you can just lean on someone who's got that sense of it's going to be okay there's a long view here. Or someone who can transcend the conflict. Jesus invites us to transcend the conflict. Whatever those conflicts may be. To hang on to that bigger picture of the Kingdom of God. To say, we're talking about people here. And we're talking about people connecting to people. There's got to be a path to reconciliation. And someone who can do that is a peacemaker. And we're all charged to strap on our shoes and to bring that peace out into the world. Wrap it up in there. Take on the shield of faith. Ultimately, faith is about hoping. Right? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hebrews 12, I believe. 
It is about hope in the face of hopelessness. It is about longing for something beyond what we have here. Hopelessness leaves you unprotected. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more desperate or despairing than losing any kind of hope that tomorrow is going to be better or that there is something more beyond what we have now. That can, that can, drain, that can leave you so bare and raw that it, it's going to steal your life away. Hopelessness steals our life away, doesn't it? Jesus says, or Paul says, take on this shield of faith which is about hoping for something more. And it's not about, you know, it's not about knowing what's going to happen and, and being certain of it. But it's about hoping. It's about being able to imagine a world where things are different. It's about being able to imagine and hoping that your situation can be different, can be better. It's about being able to hope that your relationship can be reconciled. It's about being able to hope that that person who is making bad decisions will make good decisions. It's about being able to hope that health concerns can be addressed. It's about being able to hope that war ends. It's about being able to hope that the world, the brother will stop killing brother. <coughs> it's about being able to hope that what is wrong today can be changed into right tomorrow. And it's about being able to hope that we together can change things and make the world a better place. Don the helmet of salvation. Now salvation is not, uh, very often it's about, in our minds we go, oh salvation, that's about praying that prayer and inviting Jesus into our hearts and being done with it. Right? Maybe you get baptized and then we're, check that off. Check that off the list. Right? That's not what salvation is. Salvation is something that you live into. It's about claiming your place in that something more. The, the something more we've been hoping for. Salvation is about claiming your place in it. Jesus describes it as being a beloved son or daughter of the living God. Amen? And claiming your place in that. I am a beloved son or daughter of the Creator of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. Others have described it as reward, eternal life, a crown. Whatever the case, it's the assurance that you are loved by a loving God and that God wants good things for you. Salvation. Saying, I belong in the world and in the kingdom of God. And wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Solomon, hold up your sword. Solomon's got a sword back there today. Look at that. <laughs> Solomon's wielding his sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And then you know, notice that the, 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 the sword is the only offensive way. It's offensive and defensive. It's the only offensive weapon being mentioned by Paul today. The Word of God. That is having, and I've got to tell you this, having a sword in one's hand is a dangerous thing. In fact, I was a little nervous for Julia back there with Solomon's sword uh, up behind him. It's a dangerous thing to wield a sword in your hand. Now, when I was in high school at Clearfield High, woohoo! Give it up for the Falcons. Uh, I took this idea quite literally, and I would I would wield this sword as an offensive weapon. I would tear down other people's beliefs, and I would point out where they were wrong. It says right here, you're wrong. And I could do it very well. And I would point out how I'm right. says right here, I'm right. (laughs) Look at that. So this can be a very offensive weapon. In fact, once again, a lot of our brothers and sisters offend a lot of people by using this in dangerous ways. In fact, I was having a conversation with the Gideons this week about how dangerous it is to just hand someone a Bible and let them out into the world. You know, i got to say, there are times I kind of wonder if we should go back to the place where only the, only the priests knew the Bible, right? <laughs> Things really started going south when we let anyone read the Bible, right? <laughs> sometimes, can I confess, sometimes I feel that way. But, uh, you know, I, not really. I, I think it's better that we all get to wrestle with it. But sometimes, sometimes I feel that way. Because it's a dangerous thing to hand someone the Bible. But what Paul is saying is that the words of God, the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the prophets, the wisdom narratives within the Bible all paint a picture of the world that is in contrast to the world in which Paul lived, in the world in which Jesus lived, the world in which Moses lived, and the world in which we live today. The kingdom that Jesus points to here doesn't look anything like the world we live in, does it? No, it does not. And Jesus calls it the kingdom of God and He set for us a vision of what that kingdom can look like. And this vision is what we are called to share with the rest of the world and it is offensive to the world we live in. A kingdom where everybody is beloved children of God. Where we are connected inextricably from one another and we have responsibility for one another this last one is a sword a weapon because ultimately our best defense against what paul calls this present darkness is to wipe it all out with the kingdom of god that jesus described lived out lived for died for and rose from the dead for amen i'm sure many of you are tired of hearing me talk about our obligation to care for the poor. Aren't you sick of hearing Pastor Curtis talk about that? Oh no. He's going off on the rich again and talking about how we got to take care of the poor again. Well, i got to tell you, your beef's not with me. It's with the Bible. <laughs> it's with Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus serves them up and i got to give them to you. But that's the offensive kingdom of God. The kingdom of God offends the world we live in. 
And it tears it down and tries to replace it with something better. That's why this is a sword. In conclusion, let me say this. That these things, this is our armor. That is that which will protect us, equip us, and give us what we need to fulfill the call to faithful living in these difficult times. And it is a difficult time to have faith, isn't it? Amen? I know that. I feel that. I, you know, I know it's my job, but I struggle. Sometimes I wonder what's going on. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then Paul tells us to pray. So let us pray. Loving and gracious God, equip us with this armor that You describe here today. And may we seek it in our everyday lives that we might be able to stand for the Kingdom of God in all of our life circumstances. Be with us as we go from this place and we thank You for an opportunity to be in worship together. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.